Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today on the show, we'll be talking about understanding and managing the costs associated with cancer treatment and recovery in conjunction with the release of the Cancer Support Community's third edition of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, Coping with the Cost of Care. Uh, I want to say a special thanks to uh, our funders, uh, Eli Lilly and Company, Genentech, and Celgene, who made this project uh, possible, and, and thank you guys for all that you do for people uh, affected by cancer. Uh, it, it, cancer can certainly be a costly illness, and, and during the uh, emotion-filled time of diagnosis, early treatment, financial concerns really can sometimes take a back seat. Uh, some folks are scared, you know, to discuss cost with their treatment team, physicians, nurses, and others. Uh, sometimes they fear that uh, if they ask about it or they can't afford a treatment, that treatment could possibly be delayed or maybe some kind of uh, lesser treatment might be proposed. Um, and other folks are simply not focused on the cost of care. Uh, you know, instead, they're just kind of focused on the immediate next steps of making some of these decisions. And, uh, and some others assume, hey, I have insurance, so, you know, I'm sure my, my uh, uh, my cancer care will be covered, um, which we know is not always the case. So, so, uh, and and we also are serving some folks with no insurance, and they might have some extra worries when facing a serious uh, uh, illness. But it turns out. Uh, we know that having health insurance is not necessarily a guarantee that you'll be protected from major life-changing expenses if you have cancer. In fact, uh, according to the American Cancer Society, most bankruptcies that happen as a result of medical problems are filed by people who, who have health insurance and not by the uninsured. So uh, keep in mind that even the best health insurance plans won't necessarily cover all of your costs. So uh, whether you've got private insurance, whether you're uh, under Medicare or Medicaid, no insurance, it's important for any individual to talk openly with the healthcare team uh, soon uh, around the time of diagnosis about these issues around the costs of care. Um, and so I, I uh, want to introduce our guest today. We've got some great uh, guests with us. Uh, we have uh, some knowledgeable folks who will discuss how you and your healthcare team can identify costs related to treatment, uh, suggest ways to help reduce or manage some of these costs, and also refer you to some great support services and resources. Um, uh, and we want to make sure folks understand their rights uh, and their benefits in this space. So first, please help me welcome Joanna Morales. Joanna is the director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center, a joint program of the Disability Rights Legal Center and Loyola Law School in Los Angeles. Joanna is also an adjunct professor of law at Loyola Law School, uh, teaching a seminar on cancer rights law. She's presented over 200 seminars throughout the country and has served on numerous uh, cancer community committees and boards. She's received many, many awards and recognition for her service, including the 2009 Susan G. Komen for the Cure Public Policy Advocate of the Year. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you, Kim, so much for having me today. 
We're also here with Dr. Tom Smith. Dr. Smith is currently the Director of Palliative Care at Johns Hopkins Medicine and the Hopkins Sydney Kimmel Camp Comprehensive Cancer Center. Uh, he received the Healthcare Foundation National Humanism in Medicine Award uh, in 2000 and in 2000 and 2006 was voted the most distinguished clinician on the VCU MCV faculty. Uh, he has been recognized in Best Doctors in America Medical Oncology for many years and received the ASCO Statesman Award for continued service in creating national practice guidelines. His main interests are access to care and improvements in quality of care. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Oh, thank you for letting me be on today. And finally, we have cancer survivor Nancy Boozer. In 1995, Nancy was diagnosed with breast cancer. After her recovery, she re-entered the workforce when she developed, uh, and when she developed pain in her hip, she consulted her oncologist. A bone scan did find cancer. A second uh, recurrence in 2009 has left her disabled and unable to work. Uh, today, Nancy is in remission, and although she's cancer-free, the worry has never left. Uh, Nancy continues to deal with a high level of stress and the costs surrounding her uh, multiple cancer diagnosis. Diagnoses. Uh, Nancy was featured in our Frankly Speaking About Cancer book, and we are so happy to have you, Nancy. Thank you for having me. Um, Nancy, you, uh, I'm going to start with you. Now, you've had multiple bouts with, uh, uh, with cancer, so you've been on the front line here with this. So tell us what, what impact has that had on, on your finances? Well, Kim, I'll tell you, it has had a significant uh, impact on my finances. It's been a, a terrible strain, and even more than that, it's it's been a tremendous burden to, you know, just get through just my monthly expenses, you know, always, you know, dreading the next bill to come in from a, you know, medical facility. I know at this moment I have, with one facility, I have, you know, four accounts outstanding, and unfortunately one of those has gone into collection. So mm -hmm. it's something that I deal with, you know, every day and every time my doctor tells me I need a scan, I'm always concerned about the cost that's going to impact me, you know, after I've had that test done. So, um, uh, you know, this is a story, especially in, in, in these challenging economic times, Nancy, that we're hearing from so many patients um, across the country. Um, doc, Dr. Smith, what impact uh, can this potentially have on a patient, and what impact can this have on their, on their course of treatment? Oh, it's added stress when they absolutely don't need it. Um, that doesn't make the cancer come back, but it just completely colors life in general. And there, frankly, there were 4 million medical bankruptcies last year in the U.S., and the cost of insurance has gone from $6,000 to $15,000 for a family of four in the past 10 years. Um, it's just unsustainable the way we're going. My advice would always be when you get to this position, just try to sit down with your doctor and figure out what you can do to... Um, Keep the cost of care down to a level that you can afford. So many times my, my patients won't even bring it up until they've already sold their house and sold their car, and mm -hmm. it's, it's too late. And why do you think patients wait to, 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 to raise that with you? Do you think they're um, uh, embarrassed? Do you think they're worried that it might um, impact the, the, you know, the, the care that's being prescribed to them? It's all of the above. People are afraid mm -hmm. to bother the doctor, they, which is completely bogus. Um, they're mm -hmm. afraid of not being a good patient. They're embarrassed sometimes. Mm -hmm. And they think, well, if I just get through this, I'll figure out a way to pay for it. And that's sometimes true, but sometimes it's not. And sometimes if the doctor and the practice just knows it's a problem, we can do things a lot differently, like 
just getting a bone scan instead of a PET scan and save somebody thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. And we know, Dr. Smith, that when someone is fighting cancer, that they need to be, you know, they need to be engaging in self-care, that they need to, uh, to be as healthy as possible. We know that stress, can take a toll um, on the immune system. Can do, do these things link together in terms of you know somebody's strength and their ability to fight the cancer? I don't think it changes the immune system's ability to fight the cancer, but what it does is just color your whole experience. So you're less likely to exercise, less likely to eat right. You're more likely mm-hmm. to be depressed, far less likely to have interactions with people as the bills mount up. You stay in the house. You don't do things. So it really changes life when life shouldn't, when you're trying to normalize life as much as possible. Now, Nancy, has this been a problem that's been the challenges that you're facing? Have they been building up over time? I mean, you know, the good news about cancer is that people are living longer, right? People are going into remission, sometimes dealing with multiple bouts of cancer. That's the good news on one level. But on another level, as as you're sort of telling us, you know, you've had these multiple bouts of cancer. Have things sort of been getting worse or more challenging financial over time? Is that one of the the, the negative side effects of, of, of dealing with cancer over years? Well, it has become more challenging. I have uh, learned, you know, through these years of survivorship to reach out to um, the wellness coordinators and, and, you know, my doctor's office or to contact, you know, the billing offices of the health facilities and to see what assistance is out there. And oftentimes they do offer, you know, hardship programs, you know, to the patients. So I have, you know, gone and I've, you know, completed those applications and I've, you know, opted, you know, to apply to funding and even the pharmaceutical companies as another means of helping with my expenses. Yeah, yeah. Joanna, um, I know you're dealing with people all over the country who are facing this financial burden. Is Nancy's experience uh, a typical experience of, of what you've encountered? What are you guys seeing in there? Unfortunately, I'd have to say that it's very common for individuals who've been diagnosed with a serious illness like cancer to have difficulty paying for their health care, even with insurance, as you mentioned. Over Mm -hmm. 62% of all bankruptcies filed in the U.S. are because of medical debt. And as you mentioned, the even more shocking statistic is that 75% of those individuals actually had health insurance coverage. So with the cost of health care increasing and with deductibles and monthly premiums getting higher, patients are really the ones left holding the bag, making really tough decisions between paying for medications versus paying for food or rent. And that's why the Coping with the Cost of Care book is so valuable to patients and caregivers because it provides that practical information on how to navigate insurance coverage, balance work in cancer, and access financial or prescription assistance programs. I mean, Joanna, you know, as I was saying, you know, we, 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 uh, you know, the good news with cancer is that some are starting to talk about cancer as a chronic illness. People living longer, uh, with the disease, we're getting better at early detection, um, uh, you know, getting better at putting the disease into, uh, you know, into remission. But are you guys at your center really, you know, finding folks because of that chronic nature, you know, that there are kind of mounting financial issues as a result of cancer becoming more of a chronic illness? Absolutely. It's definitely, you know, a benefit that we're seeing more survivors live with cancer, mm-hmm. um, but the ongoing health care costs that are really very high really start to impact people negatively when it comes to their finances. And I know, you know, I know here we're certainly... Um 
You know, we're seeing folks, as you're suggesting, who are having to make some very difficult decisions um, in their lives, the kinds of trade-offs and decisions that you wouldn't think folks would have to make. Um, uh, do I take a second mortgage on my house? Do I take money out of my retirement? Do I take ki- uh, money out of my kid's college fund, you know, so that I can b- pay for cancer? Like you said, a lot of these folks are employed, uh, they're insured, but are you dealing with folks who are having to make those choices and trade-offs, Joanna? Absolutely. And we really, you know, want people to be well educated about what their options are because if you make um, decisions like turning your, you know, your medical bills and into credit card debt um, Mm. and what that means for your life versus maybe, you know, taking out a second mortgage and securing it with your home, the potential loss of your home um, is a huge issue. So we want people to really understand what options they have and make educated decisions before they jump into anything. Mm-hmm. Um, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking today about coping with the cost of cancer care uh, here at the Cancer Support Community in, in partnership with a, a, a number of groups, including uh, the Cancer Legal Resource Center. We're, we're uh, launching the third edition of our book, Frankly Speaking About Cancer, Coping with the Cost of Care, and we're going to tell you uh, throughout the show where you can access that book. It's a free book uh, that's available to the public, and you can call us for it. You can go to our website, cancersupportcommunity.org, uh, to download a, uh, a, a free copy of the third edition of this book, but it gives you all kinds of information, whether you have private insurance, whether you're Medicare, Medicaid, if you're trying to figure out how to apply for Social Security disability insurance, um, if you're uh, trying to uh, find um, financial assistance programs through the pharmaceutical companies, uh, assistance with copay through a number of private foundations across the country. All of this information uh, is available in this book, frankly speaking about cancer, coping with the cost of care. You can get it at uh, Cancer supportcommunity.org. We're going to take a quick break here and we'll be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Genentech and Celgene. I'm Kim Thibodeau, and today I'm joined by Dr. Tom Smith, a leading oncologist specializing in comprehensive patient care. Uh, we also have Joanna Morales, director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center uh, and a longstanding partner of the cancer support community, and Nancy Boozer, a cancer survivor. Today we're talking about understanding and handling uh, the cost of cancer care. Uh, Nancy is shared her personal experience in dealing with these costs. I want to turn uh, again back to Dr. Smith, who, who uh, I want to talk a little bit about how cost may impact uh, uh, treatment plans and treatment choices uh, for patients. Uh, Dr. Smith, again, we're so pleased to have you today. Um, uh, you know, as a doctor, as an oncologist, can you uh, tell us a bit about how uh, the cost of care guides your treatment recommendations and, 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 and plans for patients? Do cost issues come uh, you know, factor in when you're working with patients to make treatment decisions and to create those treatment plans? Well, Kim, they, they absolutely do. But I should say first that most doctors like me don't think about this. And mm-hmm. in fact, we would prefer to not think about it because it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable for us and it's uncomfortable for patients. We've had to teach oncologists like me how to break bad news, giving people a script so that they would have some level of comfort in, in doing this. And we almost need to do, same, do the same thing with, with negotiating the cost of cancer care. And I'm right this moment working on a book chapter for the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting in June that will be all about how, how you talk to people about the cost of their care, which we would prefer not to do. Right. Part of it is that oncologists like me make money on giving treatment. And so mm-hmm. it's a difficult discussion to have, so we would just prefer to avoid it. Yeah. There are some specific treatments where I really think long and hard about discussing them before I bring them up because of the cost. One of them would be an oral chemotherapy drug called Zolota or capacitabine for mm-hmm. gastric cancer and colon cancer and breast cancer. And it's a really nice drug. It's oral. It's fairly non-toxic, but... If you've got a 20% copay and I send you to the pharmacy with a prescription that comes back as $3,400, mm. it's a huge deal for you. And it's a big deal for me because I've got then hours of work trying to get around the company or the constraints on the insurance. But it's a huge deal for you because you've suddenly lost faith in the ability of this medicine to help you. It used to be a big deal with three of the breast cancer drugs called aromatase inhibitors. Mm-hmm. all of which were identical, basically, and all of which cost amazingly the same, $450 a month, differed by less than a, a percent. And we do know that with expensive oral drugs, um, as the copay goes up, the compliance goes down. Mm-hmm. And people do not tell their doctors when they're not taking their drugs, unless we ask. Mm-hmm. And then they'll probably tell the nurse before they tell me. So that's one big suggestion I would have for your listeners today is if this is an issue, please, please, please bring it up and don't feel bad about bringing it up with your doctor. Mm-hmm. And and so you so you talk about the orals, but isn't there isn't there a um, 
you know, let's say that I'm a, you know, I'm a shift worker and I, you know, if I don't show up for my job, you know, I could lose my job. Um, isn't there some benefit to me being able to get an oral medication versus having to be away from my job to perhaps get an IV or an infusion? I mean, I guess there, that's another whole layer of trade-off, isn't it? It, it is. It's, um, you would have to come into the clinic for five days in a row to get an infusion that would be similar. And you might have a $25 to $75 copay each day that you come in that I can't legally waive. It's particularly difficult for women who are, or anyone who is a single bread earner in the family. Um, so they, a lot of my breast cancer patients have to make the decision between going to work or going to chemo. Yeah. Those are some tough choices. Those are some tough choices. Yeah. Do you, in your practice, or do you find doctors who are are doing uh, some kind of an interview or an intake with a patient so that you can understand, you know, what's this patient's, you know, work life? What is their insurance situation? Um, what, you know, what can I find out about this patient in some kind of intake process so that I can help them with a treatment plan that's going to work for their life? Amazingly enough, there's been really little research done about this that's that's helpful so far. Um, Kathy Bradley has done some down at VCU, but I was just sitting this morning with a group of doctors and investigators here at Johns Hopkins, and we're trying to think of how we can do start doing this in May and actually find the best way, the most concise, convenient, least embarrassing way for doctors and nurses and patients to talk about this. Yeah. You know, we've got a, a, a I'll just mention, Dr. Smith, a, a, a screener, a psychosocial screener that we're piloting that asks some basic questions for patients about, you know, coping issues, communication issues, but also about finance uh, issues so that we can, uh, you know, help identify early and upfront what some of folks' concerns are so that we can weave that into the physician conversation and weave that into the, um, uh, you know, into the treatment uh, uh, decision-making, all of those kind of lifestyle factors that are so important that we're not really gathering, you know, in the, um, uh, you know, in, in, you know, in the medical system, and and are you finding, Doctor Smith, that, that there are patients who are, um, again, just kind of suffering in silence, um, you know, and dealing with all these financial issues on the back end, and, and and keeping that away from kind of you and the medical team because they don't want you to change the treatment. They're afraid maybe there's not another treatment for them. They're worried that um, you're going to perhaps you know have to resort to something that's sort of suboptimal, and they'd rather kind of suffer quietly and, and make these. Kind of these these choices. I think that happens more than we more than I know. I also know that there are patients who I send home for a prescription for an expensive anti nausea drug, and you know they get to the pharmacy. It's an one hundred and eighty five dollars for three days, or two hundred fifty dollars for three days, and they don't fill it because they can't afford it. But they don't tell me, so I'm under the assumption that they've gotten um, a really effective oral anti nausea drug send them home with two other drugs to help take along with it, but they don't work that well. Or if I do find out about it at the last minute, like I did twice last week, then I have mm. to give them an IV form, which is three times as expensive mm. for somebody. It's three times as expensive for Medicaid, um, but it's less expensive for the patient, which makes so, no sense. So, again, if patients are not getting the supportive care, uh, drugs that they need. I mean, can can that have an impact on on recovery time? Can it have an impact on recurrence? Can it? You know, what what are the potential you know medical consequences of some of these actions? The medical consequences, for the most part, are throwing up when you don't mm-hmm. need to. 
Mm-hmm. And we should be able to control nausea and vomiting 90 to 95% of the time. In breast cancer, which is the biggest deal for um, treating people for a cure, I think a lot of patients aren't taking these expensive aromatase inhibitors because they can't afford the copay. Luckily, they have all three become generic. So that's helped a lot. But still paying 40 or 50% of $70 is way too much for some people. Right, right, So I've right. learned, and what I teach people here to do is just ask, to say, are you having any difficulty paying for your medicines? Yeah. yeah. It's an uncomfortable question to ask because then you have to hear what people say and say, well, I'm not having trouble paying for these pills, but I do have, you know, $30,000 of chemotherapy bills from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we don't ask. Right, right, right. But please, Nancy, please, please, have, have people bring that up with their physicians. Yeah, I, I think it's critical, um, and we want to emphasize that, that you really should talk to the doctor. The doctor's going to be open to making a plan with you and, and a plan that works for you and your life and your resources, and, 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 that's, and that's critical that the doctor understands that because otherwise they're just making assumptions. Um, Nancy, we're getting to the break here, but um, were you able to talk to your doctor and your treatment team about financial constraints, financial concerns? Did they raise that with you? I mean, did these things come up in conversation through your treatment? Well, you know, they didn't come up, you know, through my physician, but I brought them up, and I addressed them with the uh, wellness coordinator at the doctor's office, and that person was instrumental in helping me tremendously in getting, you know, help through the pharmaceutical companies, the doctor's office, so I would definitely tell people, you know, like Dr. Smith said, you know, speak up. You have to let them know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you, you spoke up in the office and they referred you to this wellness coordinator who helped you kind of sort some things out and get some resources that you would not have been aware of otherwise, Nancy? Oh, yes. They help you navigate. You know, they'll print out the forms. You know, they'll help you fill them out, fax them in for you. And it was, it was a big, big help to me. So um, we're, we're, we're uh, quickly getting to the break, and uh, in our next segment, we're going to have quite a good conversation with Joanna uh, about health care policy and coverage. But, um, but Dr. Smith, you mentioned a, a chapter you're working on for uh, the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting, a huge cancer meeting that happens every year in Chicago, and some advice that, 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 you're, uh, that you're maybe giving to oncologists. Can you, get, can you preview that article for us a little bit, a couple of the tips that you're providing around this? Sure. There are a lot of things that are under the oncologist's control for how much, how much things cost. I'm thinking of particular of a breast cancer chemotherapy called a Braxane, which is a fancy form of Taxol, or generic Paclitaxel, and it can be 50 times more expensive, um, and it doesn't work any better. Mm-hmm. So if your doctor suggests a Braxane for you or suggests a really, really, really expensive medicine, I think you're well within your rights to say, do you have anything that works as well or almost as well, but it's a lot less expensive? So you can use generic Paclitaxel, which is still the best breast cancer drug available, and it works better than the weekly Abraxane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You might save yourself you know, $6,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Or doing a PET scan isn't necessary for a whole lot of diseases. Mm-hmm. So you could save yourself thousands of dollars by saying, well, can you do an ultrasound or can you do a plain CAT scan or a plain bone scan and 
assess what's going on rather than doing the PET scan. That so really, not- yeah. So really what you're suggesting is, you know, we've got to train both the doctors and the patients to be navigating these conversations. It can't be one-sided. Yes. Yeah, no, I think that I think that that's I think that that's critical and we have to be coming together groups like ours, you know, patient groups and and groups like ASCO and and uh and the doctors to really be coming together so that everyone is getting some training and 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 some better understanding of how to na- raise and navigate, you know, these issues for patients. Um this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking today about coping with the cost of care. The cancer support community is uh, we're releasing the third edition of our book frankly speaking about cancer. Um it is a free uh, book for anyone who would like to access it. Uh, it's around coping with the cost of care, whether you have insurance, whether you don't have insurance, whether you're looking for um, additional resources uh, that are out there to help you access either information, guidance, funds, support to help you pay uh, for your cancer care. There, there are, you know, we, we want folks to know, um, we know it, this can be very difficult to navigate and it can be very overwhelming, but we do want folks to know there are a lot of resources that are out there to help you with various costs. There are resources to help with the uh, copay and and, uh, uh, and and other costs associated with cancer care. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Millennium and uh, Amgen Oncology. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Today I'm joined by Dr. Tom Smith, Director of Palliative Care at uh, Johns Hopkins, Joanna Morales, Director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center, and Nancy Boozer, a cancer survivor. Uh, today we're talking about handling the cost of care. Uh, Nancy shared her personal experience. Dr. Smith talked to us a little bit about how costs can really impact treatment planning and, and, and how we need to better open up that dialogue between the medical team and the patient. Um, I want to uh, bring Joanna a little bit more into the conversation to talk about some of the important developments in insurance and healthcare laws and speak to us about some patient uh, patient rights issues so we can have a good understanding of that. Um, Joanna, we know that laws 
involving healthcare these days are, are, are challenging and complicated. Um, can you talk to us about uh, a, a little bit about what are some uh, crucial uh, uh, developments, any recent developments for anyone um, currently living with cancer, dealing with the financial uh, uh, aftermath? Have we seen uh, parts of the healthcare reform uh, implemented? Any other significant changes that folks should be aware of since we last had you on the show? Protection and Affordable Care Act, which is more commonly known just as health care reform. And that law actually contained two different types of requirements. So there's some new requirements that change the way that insurance companies actually do business. Mm -hmm. And then some of these requirements actually provide us with new options for access to health care. So um, there's a lot of different areas that really can have the potential to impact individuals with cancer. So I would probably just highlight a few of them. Um, I would say ones that really speak to the financial cost of care um, would be something like the elimination of lifetime limits. So, for example, insurance companies can no longer impose lifetime caps on your health insurance coverage. And this is so, a huge yeah, benefit explain, for cancer survivors. That, I mean, in the past, have most insurance plans had sort of a lifetime cap, and if you go over that, you're, uh, in, you're out of luck? Exactly. So we'd often see people who had maxed out their $500,000 lifetime cap or even a million-dollar lifetime cap for the family. And once you hit that cap, you you no longer have any health insurance coverage. And that means that a lot of people can't actually get treatment because they can't pay for those um, those costs out of pocket. So elimination of that lifetime cap is now in effect? Yes. Okay. And then over time, we'll see annual limits um, on your benefits being phased out. So right now there's some restrictions, and then in 2014, they'll be eliminated entirely. So, that, so that's a benefit. So, what, so other provisions that are going into place in 2014 that we may see benefiting cancer patients? Well, certainly the, the requirement that insurance companies can no longer deny people with pre-existing conditions is tremendous. I never thought that I would see this happen. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, despite your health status, you can still get access to health insurance coverage. And that, that it does apply to children under the age of 19 now, but for, mm-hmm. for the rest of us, we have to wait until January 1st of 2014. 2014. Now, I know, Joanna, we're all kind of starting to hear in the news uh, that there have been lawsuits challenging the Affordable Care Act that are now going to be heard by the Supreme Court. Can I, I know these are very complicated issues. Can you take a minute to help us understand what, what those challenges are and what the potential impact could be? Sure. So the Supreme Court will hear arguments um, in March, um, I believe in March 26th through the 28th, on whether or not certain provisions in the law are actually constitutional. So the main provision that they're looking at is what we call the individual mandate. Mm-hmm. And it's the requirement that will go into effect in 2014 that requires us all to have health insurance coverage. So there are some um, individuals who believe that Congress overstepped their authority and have done something um, unconstitutional by requiring this. And Mm -hmm. so we'll see what the Supreme Court says on this particular provision. But what gets more complicated is they'll also look at whether or not that provision can be pulled out of the rest of the bill. So can the the rest of the provisions in the law actually continue to stand if they do strike down the individual mandate as unconstitutional? Or, so, or, is it a, or is it a stack of cards? That's the question. Exactly. Right? And that Got becomes, it. you know, that's a huge 
problem because all the provisions that we've seen go into effect and start to be successful and really impact individuals with cancer could potentially all go away. I'll go away. Okay. And just for our listeners, I know we have folks who've expressed an interest in this topic. We're going to have a show before those cases are heard in March to talk a little bit more about, uh, about this we can, so we can dig in on this a little bit more. Um, Joanna, let's turn to Medicare. Obviously, 77 million baby boomers in this country. We have thousands of people turning 65 every day and qualifying uh, for Medicare. What do folks need to know? Let's say, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I'm someone with cancer. I'm in the process of turning 65, maybe shifting from a private payer to Medicare. What are the things I need to be thinking about um, with regard to Medicare? Well, first, for those um, who aren't familiar with Medicare, it is a federal health insurance program for people who are 65 or older and eligible for Social Security benefits or for people who've been receiving Social Security disability insurance benefits for two years, which we do see a lot of individuals with cancer qualify for. So, you know, you mentioned that there are things that people should know, and certainly accessing Medicare benefits can sometimes be tricky because there are multiple parts to Medicare, and each part costs a different amount with a different monthly premium and a different annual deductible. Um, And there are also many deadlines, such as open enrollment periods where people can get access, um, Mm -hmm. or even special enrollment periods that you need to meet, or you end up facing penalties for late enrollment, and you face those penalties for the rest of your life. Um, And there's a lot of different plan options available to you in Medicare. You can choose Medicare fee-for-service plans or your Medicare HMO or PPO. And then people can also purchase supplemental plans called Medigap plans Mm -hmm. to provide additional coverage and to help pick up that 20% that original Medicare doesn't typically cover. So there's a lot to navigate through in order to make sure that you're maximizing your Medicare benefits. And we hear a lot, just uh, quickly, Joanna, but we, with regard to coverage for different medications, et cetera, we hear a lot about something called the donut hole. Can you tell folks what that is? Yeah. So after you've met your deductible um, and you've incurred a certain number of costs um, in prescription drugs, then you actually fall into what we call the donut hole, where you are 100% responsible for any of your prescription drug costs. And the good thing is that the Affordable Care Act, which I mentioned before, will actually eliminate that prescription drug donut hole over time, providing more coverage to individuals on Medicare. So okay. if people have, you know, if people have more questions about Medicare, want more yeah. information, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid is the federal agency that oversees Medicare, yeah. and their website is Medicare.gov. Perfect. That's great because I, I know this is becoming a, a, a huge issue in our society. Um, I, I just want to turn to a couple of other uh, uh, quick um, matters, Joanna. There's just so much we could talk about today. Um, so uh, we hear this question a lot. Someone's been diagnosed with cancer. Do I tell my employer? Do I tell my boss? Do I have to tell my boss um, that, that, you know, that I have cancer? Uh, you know, how does that work legally? I think whether or not you choose to share um, your diagnosis with your coworkers or your boss or your supervisor is always a personal decision. But mm-hmm. under the law, you're, you're not required to share anything about your medical condition unless you're asking for a reasonable accommodation or some type of medical leave because in those cases, you have to show why you're entitled to it. Um, but it doesn't even necessarily mean that you're disclosing a diagnosis um, mm-hmm. versus just getting medical certification that you have um, a medical condition that's going to keep you out of work. So that disclosure issue is is important um, for employees and for caregivers as well, and to make sure that you understand what your rights are and so that you 
you only have to disclose what you feel like you want to disclose. So as my employer, if I have to take time off, let's say I have to take time off to go for medical appointments, or I have to take time to go off, go for radiation, go for chemotherapy, is my employer required to give me time off for those medical appointments? Well, there are um, federal and state laws that give patients and caregivers the right to take time off work without losing access to their job or their health insurance coverage, um, but that is going to depend on the situation. So if you... Um, work for an employer that has 50 or more employees and you meet the other requirements of the Family and Medical Leave Act, that may be something that you can do. Take time off work to um, go to doctor's appointments or even follow-up visits. Um, you know, Nancy, I know that um, we talked a little bit, you, you talked a little bit about how you were, you uh, had cancer, you re-entered the workforce. Um, tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about what, what that was like for you. Did you disclose your cancer to your uh, employer? Was there some accommodation made, um, you know, through your cancer experience? Well, when I uh, found out that my cancer had, you know, returned, I made the decision to uh, tell my, you know, my boss. And then I also made the decision to, you know, let my coworkers know. Mm-hmm. And they did they did accommodate me. There were times when, you know, I wasn't feeling up to par and I needed to come in maybe a half hour later or, you know, I had to leave early for a doctor's appointment. They were very understanding and very, you know, helpful to me and very caring. So I didn't have any difficulties. I was very, very fortunate. That's great. Jo- Joanna, I'm sure you, you hear a lot about folks who aren't as lucky as Nancy, you know, when they do disclose and the, the, that, uh, that, those, the, that those accommodations are, are, are you know, are, are not being made. Is that something you guys do is help folks understand their rights in those situations? We do. And not only do we want, you know, to educate patients and caregivers about their rights, but we also want to take the opportunity to educate employers about what their responsibilities are, because a lot of times employers just don't realize what their obligations are under the law and how to best work with their employees. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think sometimes employers also, you know, feel uh, maybe worried about asking the wrong question or, or crossing the line, you know, if, if uh, asking someone how they're doing or if, is there something they can do to help or, uh, you know, sometimes other folks in the workplace want to know, um, uh, you know, how they can help uh, a coworker who's dealing with that situation. Do you guys, you know, help folks with that as well if they, if they want to help a coworker who's going through this difficult situation? Exactly. And we do see employers who go way above and beyond what the state and federal law requires as the minimum level of protection. So we recommend that employees look at their employee manual to see what company policies might apply or be helpful. Or if you're working under an employment contract or a union contract, it's also important to look at those documents for additional rights and protections. I know one thing we can do here, Joanna, is um, we're, we're permitted to donate our, our sick leave to uh, someone if they're running out of, uh, of, of sick leave. We're permitted to donate some sick time to that uh, person to, so that they're not, you know, lo- losing income based on perhaps a medical situation. Is that something you see at other employers as well? Yes, that's a perfect example of how a company policy can provide additional benefits to people. And what, Joanna, what are some of the other, you know, kind of common questions you get from folks about what their rights are, you know, when they've been diagnosed with cancer in terms of the key issues, um, you know, that they're dealing with? What are some of the common, as we go to our break, some of the sort of common questions or themes that are coming your way? I think realizing um, that the laws that are protective in the employment arena, like 
the Americans with Disabilities Act um, don't just apply to employees, but they also apply to job applicants. So we see people who have left their job um, or have lost their job, particularly in this economic environment, who are going back into the workforce and they're concerned about what they have to disclose to a potential employer. Um, can they ask for reasonable accommodations? Do they talk about their need to take time off for for follow-up visits ahead of time. So all of those issues about job applicants and, and going back into the workforce are other, other types of employment issues that come up quite a bit. Interesting. And I know, and just quickly, Joanna, um, another important issue is COBRA, that, that if folks um, uh, do perhaps lose their job, that they do have the uh, opportunity to uh, buy insurance through their employer for a period of time. COBRA allows you to keep the same health insurance you had when you were employed for between 18 and 36 months, depending on how you qualify for COBRA. And while it's expensive, there are programs out there that can help you pay for your premium so we can connect people with those options if, if those yeah, are available yeah. to them. Yeah, because I think sometimes it really is critical for particularly patients in, in active treatment for cancer to have some continuing coverage. Um, exactly and care. Um, this is frankly speaking about cancer. This has been such an interesting conversation. Um, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part by Azai and Morphotech. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We've been joined today with a wonderful conversation with Dr. Tom Smith at Johns Hopkins, uh, Joanna Morales from the uh, Cancer Legal Resource Center, and Nancy Boozer, a cancer survivor. Uh, today we've been talking about understanding and handling the cost of care. Uh, Nancy shared her personal experience. Dr. Smith uh, talked to us about how uh, cost impacts uh, treatment plans, and Joanna has been incredibly helpful in understanding our rights uh, uh, for folks who who have cancer, their legal rights. Um, in the final segment, again, I want to mention we've got a new publication, uh, frankly speaking, about cancer, coping with the cost of care. Um, when developing uh, this booklet, we engage a number of experts uh, in patient advocacy and support organizations across the country that provide financial support and resources to patients and families. So we want to do a special shout-out to our partners on this piece. Um, of course, the Cancer Legal Resource Center. And again, Joanna, we thank you for joining us today 
to help bring some light to some of these issues. Uh, we were also joined by the Association of Oncology Social Work, uh, Cancer and Careers, uh, Live Strong, the Lance Armstrong Foundation, the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, the Patient Advocate Foundation, and Survivorship A to Z. So as you guys can see, we've got some of the top partners and resources around the country joining us um, on the development of this free book uh, available to everyone. Um, uh, we we uh, just want to bring our guests back into the final piece of this conversation. Um, uh, Joanna, you have been instrumental in informing this book, and, and we've been so grateful for that uh, partnership. What is it that you hope people will take away from this new resource? Well, the Coping with the Cost of Care book is really an incredible practical guide on the most common issues that can arise after a cancer diagnosis, um, whether it be health insurance options or managing medical debt or prescription assistance options. Um, and the reason I find this guide so helpful is that I'm often recommending to patients when they're first diagnosed that they need to review their coverage and their rights. And this guide really walks people through that process. And I always tell people to pull out that paperwork that you received when you first started your job or find your employee manual or contact your insurance company for a copy of your policy if you don't have one, and then sit down and read all of that. And I know that that sounds like as much fun as reading the dictionary, but it's <laughs> incredibly important that people understand what their options are and what they're entitled to so they can make really good decisions. And the Coping with the Cost of Care book really helps you figure out what your options are and your rights are. Um, but the bottom line that I hope people take away from this guide is that there are resources out there to help you and that you're not alone. That's right, and so many of the resources are provided through the wonderful partners um, that I that I just listed. Uh, Nancy, you've been a part of our cancer support community for a number of years. Now you're featured in this new um, uh, publication. Can you tell us a little bit about you know your your contributions uh, to the piece and 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 how your involvement with us has impacted your 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 cancer journey? What you might want to share with others as we get to the end of our show here. Well, you know, what I have gained um, uh, from just being involved in this whole process is just a, a broader understanding of the financial impact that it has on the patient, not only at the time of diagnosis, but through, you know, the whole, you know, the stretch of your survivorship, because it just continues year after year, you know, after year. And in being involved in the uh, cancer support community, I've also gained, you know, uh, you know, encouragement and understanding, you know, the acceptance that, you know, you have metastatic disease and that you're not alone. And I've developed some deep friendships, you know, through the years. And that has been very, very comforting, you know, to me in my journey. That's really just wonderful. Nancy, and we're so grateful to have you as a part of our uh, of our community. Um, Dr. Smith, uh, someone uh, has just been diagnosed with cancer. You know, they've gotten in to see an oncologist. They're making some of these treatment decisions, but w w what do they need? What, what's the conversation they need to have with the oncologist, with the medical team about some of these cost issues, and how, and how can they have that in a way where they feel empowered, where they're not embarrassed to have the conversation, and, and you know, what do they need to, to share, and how do they broach that? Don't feel bad at all about asking, how much is this going to cost, and what's my copay? You can run it through your insurance system here. And if it's way too much, then say, are there other things you can do, like a CAT scan rather than a PET scan or a different chemo that will cost me a whole lot less? 
The second thing is if you're dealing with recurrence, something that can't be cured, make sure you get your advanced medical directives done, durable powered medical attorney who can speak for you if you can't speak for yourself. Think about seeing hospice three to six months before you're, you're really sick. This can help you avoid the hospital near the end, which is what bankrupts so many people, and keep you at home where almost everybody wants to be. The other advantage of that is it ensures some of the progressive ones like Aetna and United have these expanded access programs that allow you to get hospice much sooner than right before you die. And they have nurses who are trained to help you with symptoms and adapting to the disease and getting everything straight. This helps you, helps you stay out of the hospital and that all the data is that addressing these issues will help you live better and longer and I think I, I think I, I read recently, as you're suggesting in hospice care, that, that most people qualify to be in hospice for 60 days or 90 days, that the average length of stay in hospice in this country is eight days, but that folks qualify for a much longer time in hospice. And as you're suggesting, you know, hospice is covered by Medicare and that um, hospice will, will help you plan, will help you cope, will help you with some decision-making um, and, 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 and some of those other elements that are really not front and center, Dr. Smith, in the hospital. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. So really this, the communication is the key, letting folks know, um, you know, really regardless of your financial, uh, uh, you know, situation. Again, you know, we're talking about folks folks who are going into bankruptcy as a result of, of these health care costs who were, you know, fully employed folks with insurance uh, going into bankruptcy from health care costs. So this is, you know, folks, this is not something that you should be embarrassed about. Um, you know, just like you want to have control over your decisions, you want to have control over these other aspects, you want to have control over the financial aspects uh, of, of, of cancer care. And, um, uh, and you should not be embarrassed to say to your doctor, how much does that cost? Where do I find out how much that costs? How do I find out what my insurance will pay for? Hey, Doc, listen, before we go ahead with any of this, I need to check out all of these financial issues so I make sure that I'm making decisions that are, of course, good for me um, and, and, and good for my you know, health and my outcomes and well-being, but I also need to think about decisions that are good for my family and, and all of the financial issues um, uh, that, that we're going uh, to be facing here. Um, jo- Joanna, any other final tips for our, uh, you know, for our listeners if they have just been diagnosed with cancer? I think that I would echo something that Dr. Smith said earlier and suggest that patients really work with their healthcare team to try mm-hmm. to address the financial impact of treatment, but also some of the more practical aspects like the decision to work through treatment or not work through treatment um, mm-hmm. and how medical decisions can affect those things. So if you really want to continue working through treatment, talking to your doctor about how, you know, the timing of your treatment might be something that can help. Um, and working with social workers or patient navigators or case managers, um, to learn about coverage options and financial assistance programs. Yeah, because there really are um, a lot of resources out there. Uh, this is this has been um, just a, a great conversation, and I really, uh, you know, I want to thank all three of you today. Um, uh, you know, want to thank you, uh, Dr. Smith, for sharing that perspective. I, I think it's, I really think it's very comforting, Dr. Smith, for folks to hear from you today from the doctor to say, hey, you know, that doctor told me I can ask these questions, and that I think that opens up the door for people to feel a little bit more comfortable um, to say to their doctor. You know, what are the issues? What are the concerns? Um, uh, you know, how do I pay for this? How do I get these questions addressed? And, and, and look, let's, let's recognize, folks, that, that our doctors are not 
finance and reimbursement experts on this. But if you open up the conversation, it's going to help them uh, and their team get you connected to, to the resources where you can get these questions answered. And it will help them understand about you, your life, your choices, your priorities, so they can help you create a treatment plan that's right for you. I always say to folks, there is no right decision. There's a right decision for you and all the things that are happening um, in your life. So I, so I, I thank you uh, for that. And certainly, Joanne, all the great work that we're doing together and our wonderful partnership over these many years. I appreciate you uh, being with us today. Um, and Nancy, thank you for your, your great insight and, and uh, for sharing your own personal story today and, and uh, through our, the many other things that we've partnered on and in helping us um, um, with this book, which is a critical piece. Again, I want to mention the Cancer Support Community is releasing um, uh, today our Frankly Speaking About Cancer, Coping with the Cost of Care book. Uh, it is now available. There are many options uh, to help you pay for your care. Um, in the book, we've got valuable information from uh, many different sources, and we hope the information will provide some guidance uh, if you're dealing with major or minor uh, financial matters related to cancer and, 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 and life changes. So to get your free copy, grab your pen. Um, go to uh, cancersupportcommunity.org, www.cancersupportcommunity.org. You can look at the book right away. You can download it. Or if you want us to mail you a hard copy, we're very happy to do that. Call us at 888-793-9355, and we will mail uh, a, a, a copy to you, um, and we've got books on a whole host of topics, so you can send those as well. Nancy, I'd like to dedicate our show to you today because you've been such a wonderful example of how someone can uh, face cancer and be educated and be empowered, and you, you always have that glass half full uh, uh, view, and your drive um, uh, to make something great out of a tough situation really inspires uh, all of us. So I thank you for sharing your story today. Uh, if you know someone diagnosed with cancer, we're happy to help them all. All of our services are free at 57 sites around the country. Uh, we're at cancersupportcommunity.org. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.